Hi there and welcome back to the ESPN Footy Podcast. G'day everybody, welcome to the ESPN Footy Podcast once again. My name is Matt Walsh, Jake Michaels and Christian Jolly from Champion Data. Here to chat footy for the next, well, hour or so I guess. Jake, how are you after a long weekend of footy? I'm very well. It was a long weekend. Do you mm. like these extended rounds of football? Uh, oh, if I'm a fan, yes. But in order to like keep abreast of footy, five days uh, is quite a lot, Christian. I'm sure you and the Champion Data officers would probably agree. Oh, it is a lot, but I like the, like the festival of footy we had a few years ago. Was, give me, give me footy was, every night. I, it's it's Tuesday, 5pm. Yeah, it's the delineation. It's, it's the rush between round four finishing and round five starting three days later. That makes it hard, but watching footy is easy to do every single day. Would you prefer to have four games on at the same time and have like a multi-screen going? Or would nah, you prefer nah, to watch nah. them back to, like back to, to back, wa- back to back? Yeah, I like to watch them. So the each. AFL's nailed the fixture. Yeah, I, I think... Well, they want to do that. They want to. It's the same thing with the season. Like the yeah. season has gone from six months now to ten in terms of all the bits and pieces that happen before and after. So yeah. they want to, you know, prolong as much as they can. Mm. But also, from if you're somebody who wants to watch a lot of games, yeah, it's great. You don't want to have to. What about three or four on at the same question time. without notice? Why wasn't there a game on Good Friday after the first one? Well, it's weird because when I saw the the Carlton North game, I just assumed I didn't even look at the time. I assumed that was an, a night game oh so you thought that was like a seven o'clock start yeah no, it's always been the four yeah i know i, three, kind of, I think four. i forget about that but what yeah i guess why is that why do we not have a game at um maybe we should maybe like this that. should have been on the, the episode last week weird <laughs> yeah a little bit uh hate to get to this week uh including a look at the saints unbeaten start the lines at the gabba and elsewhere and we chat gather round and a whole bunch more gather so round. plenty to get to yeah i know so already upon us time to gather around uh before we get cracking something from the weekend we noticed jake you said you've come to the table with two Oh, I've got two, but I'll just go with one because uh, you don't like when I come with two. No, I, I usually, like two. Well, let's, I, let's go with two. I usually come with zero, so um, <laughs> yeah. Weird one. We're going to give out a little plug to a page I follow on Facebook that I suggest you follow too if you like a few weird kind of quirky left field footy stats. Uh, useless AFL stats, which is pretty much exactly that, but they do have some absolute gold on there. And it does fit our podcast being footy tipping podcast as well. So... It's the first time this this round of the 18-team uh, era where if your footy tipping strategy has been go home, away, home, away, home, away, etc., you were to tip nine. First time ever that, that, that went that, that order. It's happened away, home, away, home before, but okay. never home, away, home, away over an actual one round and you would have got nine by tipping, just alternating your team. How many people do we think actually do that? <laughs> Sure there's about a million people on there. I'm sure there's a few. <laughs> That's very true. Uh, go so, on. So, so that was an interesting one. The other thing which I, in a more serious note, was just looking back at the coaches' votes for the weekend. Um, and obviously they came out. Um, we could sort of already seen them for the games over the weekend. Um, but the Gold Coast St Kilda game, I was staggered that because I, you know, I do my Brownlow votes as well. And yep. Noah Anderson, I thought he was sensational. Despite you can see Jake's votes on ESPN.com.au forward slash AFL. You can. Um, I despite the the significant loss, I thought Noah Anderson was fantastic. I think thirty eight disposals, goal, seven clearances, seven inside fifty, seventeen contested possessions, um, about seven hundred meters gained. He was fantastic. Didn't get a single coach's vote, not one. Mm. I Which is a bit more than staggering. the three Brownlow votes, so obviously there's a bit more room. For, and yeah. then two two different coaches, so you could have as many as ten, ten players in the vote. But ten different players could get one. I think seven different players got one in that game, and he no, wasn't Noah. one of them. I thought that was astounding. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, it's obviously giving votes is subjective, but I think at some point it's like, how can you not have him? So, mm. very weird. 
Interesting. Christian, something from the weekend that took your fancy? Uh, well, something we sort of already touched on. I think Jake mentioned it was a 4.20 start uh, on Good Friday. Even go back one night before that, Easter Thursday, we had a 7.35 start. Both brand new times for this year. First time we've had either of those two times. What's so going on with this? I don't know, but we've had 36 games played this year. Yep. 17 different start times. With a few it? more to be introduced, I think, in gather round in round five. I think we've got a 5.20 or something. On a Friday. I said what's, how, how confusing would be if you if you go on the footy Thursday, Friday, Saturday, you got one that starts at 7.40, then you got 7.50 the next night, and then on a Saturday if you go at 7.25 or 7.30, depending on where we, how they feel. We need to investigate this. There has to be a reason why this is happening. Why the five-minute difference what's happens. The f- what's the... Yeah, well, they, there was talk last year that they were going to bring forward uh, Friday night starts to 7.40 because people were whinging that it started too late. And they just—I think that happened—but now it's back to seven fifty again. If it's a Melbourne, well, at least the the early rounds, they were definitely seven fifty starts. I wonder if it's a broadcast thing where people tune, they people tune in, and the game's already started on on a. I remember Formula One changed this a few years ago, where they used to start on the hour. The race would start on the hour, and then they changed it a few years ago to start ten minutes past the hour because too many people were tuning in as it started and they missed like the 10 minute sort of build up yeah. then they changed it back yeah. to, to now start but now it's a crapshoot it could go either way you could you could tune in at, at, at 2.10 exactly. and That's, the game started or so, it hasn't started yet so I don't know why they do it that way so really strange I don't know maybe we need to investigate this maybe we do uh, something I noticed if I'm a TV director right Jake Yeah. Uh, and I live in Sydney and I'm asked to do some SCG games. There was this really big game last year. I don't know if you remember. You might have been there, uh, where Buddy kicked a thousand goals. There yeah, was this camera angle notable. behind the shot, uh, which was compromised by a woman jumping up and down and celebrating, and, and we couldn't really see. Oh, I Buddy. thought that was iconic. <laughs> <laughs> it was certainly something. Uh, I think after that, I would have said, "Great, the shot was ruined. What can you do?" Stuff happens, uh, but we need to fix this. We need to either move this camera a little bit further around. We need to move it higher. We need to um, remove the seats from directly in front of that spot. Do something to ensure that this doesn't happen again. Lo and behold, round four, 2023, and Ollie Florence having a kick from pretty much the same position that Buddy did, maybe a little bit further out, to win the game for Sydney after the siren. And what gets in the way? Another patron jumping up and down and, and celebrating in the way. It's unbelievable. What's going on? A um, few problems with the SCG in terms of uh, cameras. I've always been very critical. Very low. They're very low. I, I there's sorry to our loyal Sydney listeners, but I've always hated watching day games at the SCG with the low camera angle and the sun. It's r- impossible. Yeah, we comment on it at Champion how hard it is. You sort of have to look through players to see the far wing. Champion yeah, sort of when the ball's is. on the ground, Champion data, yes. <laughs> uh, when the ball's on the ground and things like that, just, yeah, because the camera's so low, it's sort of like, well, I can't actually see who has the ball because yeah. there's a player standing in his way. Yeah. Yeah, you kind of get a, it's it's a it's bad for your depth perception in mm. terms of uh, understanding how close players might be to tackling and and look. Don't get me started on some of the camera angles we've seen from broadcasters this year already. Oh. Some of the some of the angles from low inside fifty at ground level looking in, and it's just these massive bodies. And then the replay, like, they, like someone will kick a goal, and you'd be like, great. Well, I can't see how that transpired. Mm. And then the replay is this wonderful shot down down the goals. And you can sort of see the players and the chain of hand passes leading to the goal. And I'm like, why aren't they using that as the live one instead? So, so you don't like studs and socks on the uh, on the low angle? I don't know what they're trying what to they, show us that. that I, there's nothing I it can adds gather, nothing to the exactly. To the there's nothing I can it's gather just from them that view. Flexing, saying, "Look, we got a new angle." Okay, well, how about you sort out the angles on the actual goal line so we don't have problems with the score of you? Uh, I think we're getting a bit uh, carried away here early in this podcast. Separate podcast for camera <laughs> <of> broadcasters. <laughs> All right, let's get into the to the main body of the podcast. Uh, 
St Kilda keep on rolling. They're now four and zip. Uh, when St Kilda was four and zero after four rounds with a ladder percentage of over one hundred and sixty percent, which they currently are. Mm, let's, take, let's go through the seasons. Nineteen sixty six, good year if you're a Saints yep. fan. Two thousand nine, pretty good year if you're a Saints fan. And now twenty twenty three. So Swamp Thing on Twitter, thank you for that one. That is uh, a good one. They've started really brightly. Okay, I'm not going to say now they're going to win the flag because that's way too early. Right now, if you have to say yes or no, they're playing finals. Uh, yeah, I think so. 4-0 is a good position to be in. Oh, there's no better position to be in. No, that's true. Um, but do, do we still believe in them enough? Because I don't think anyone, and certainly not none of us, thought they were playing finals. Um, I don't think many people... Well, 19 more games. They probably need to win another maybe... Nine? Nine? Ten? It's pretty doable. It's very doable, but do we? But my point is, do we believe, believe in them enough now with what we've seen? Well, we, we talked about their issues in preseason about just availability of players. Yeah. Some of the names they're going to be getting back in coming weeks. Well, that's the most impressive part of the the, the first month of the season. And that, and again, you, you're always going to bring Max King in and Tim Memory in, but there is is there also a bit of risk in that in terms of how well and they're, they're overachieving at the moment and we're sort of going in, well, that's not how they plan to sort of line up. When they do get all these players back at the second half of the season, is it similar to the Nat Fife Frio introduction last <laughs> oh, okay. year where it's how do we actually fit these guys back in without taking away from the chemistry? So it's too early to tell that. Interesting. Um, I think, yeah, I'm, I'm probably another one or two games away from saying they're safe for finals. I'm still not going to yeah. have them as a lock for finals. Mm. We'll get to this later, but this week upcoming. Huge game. Massive game. Massive test. If they win, yeah, if they, if they beat Collingwood um, over in SA and they go 5-0... Um, so they got Collingwood and Carlton in the next two weeks. Yeah. So good fortnight for them. I mean, even if they split them, if they get one of them in five and one after six weeks, very hard. I know Carlton was eight and two, and we yeah. we missed it. So, we so, missed so, out last year, but um, yeah, <laughs> it's hard to you, you almost say, gee, they're going to have to do a lot wrong to fall out. But like, what what's the cause of this, Christian? Because we look at teams that change coaches, like the personnel changed slightly, but it wasn't you know earth shatteringly different list compared to what it has been in previous years. You were saying that, that that teams have used this team's used defence to its effect, so they've been scoring a lot more from turnovers compared to things like, um, you know, clearances and, and other methods of scoring. But is that is that kind of can we boil it down that simply that that Ross's defence is so good that they're picking balls off and then starting scoring change, and, and that's the difference between a team that finished outside the eight and a team that's now top of the ladder and flying. Pretty much, and it, it is it's it is it's amazing when you look at it on the surface of what's changed and how they're sort of playing. Um, Again, we knew that Ross was going to bring in a big, a big defensive presence and, and you know make it really, really hard to play against St Kilda. But at the moment, I mean, they're, they're seventh for points four. They're sort of one of the best at converting turnovers into a score, um, which has probably been where their big changes have come from. So if you look at scoring differential, you know, big, been big on the pod the last three, uh, three or four years. That there's only three ways to score that we sort of we sort of track. You can either score from a kick in, score from a clearance, or score from a turnover. Their score differentials from kick-ins and clearances are worse than they were last year. So I think mm. they're getting outscored by half a point from kick-ins and two points per game from clearances. But from turnover, they were plus one point per game last year. They're up to plus 28 points per game this year. So that's the one area of the game where they've improved out of sight. But again, you can usually put that down to structure. How do we structure up when the opposition has the ball so we want to be able to pick it off? But two, when we pick it off, we want to be dangerous and be able to mm. switch into attack mode really, really quickly. So... That has been the main improvement and difference to this side, probably for me. You got all the other stuff of you know, obviously, last year I think they used the corridor the fifth most. This year they're back down to 18, so they're they're very very safe with the ball. But again, we sort of even spoke about it against Essendon how 
they kick forward and long so often and took so many marks. They do keep taking territory, so it's not that boring, slow go Frio that we're seeing with ball in hand. They, they're averaging 400 disposals but continually taking territory with the game. It's very early on, obviously, um, but there is an argument to be made because there's no they haven't brought in players. Mm-hmm. It's not. It's not like they've they had four or five big recruits in the off season. It's a different team. It's very similar. I mean, you can say Mason Wood feels like a new player in the team <laughs> with the way he's playing in his new role. But there really isn't anyone. And then you add in the fact that they've got so many of their best uh, twenty-two out. There's an argument to be made, and it goes against everything I always say. But how much of this is coaching change, and how much credit does he deserve to get Ross Lyon for for what he's been able to do? And mm-hmm. I got to give him credit. But how, how much how much of coaching do you think is is the actual tactical now? So we've we talked about it, and they're, they're deficient in some areas compared to last year, and they're they're more proficient in others. But how much of it is just the ability to galvanise a squad, bring everyone to buy into to, to one sort of thing, and 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 have forty four guys on a list all chasing the same goal? I think that's as important because I think if I think once you've got that, if you've got everyone to buy in, then the actual. Uh, the on-field stuff, is, as, it, as it is, the strategy and what you're actually trying to do out there, yeah. uh, your tactics, then that all follows from that. But that's probably the hardest part. I imagine coaches probably say that that's the hardest part, mm. is getting everyone to buy. And once they do, then and clearly they... We have to keep prefaces by saying that we're only four rounds in and we yeah. can't be going overboard. But it's as good as they've looked for a long time. Have you got them playing finals? Again, I'll... Probably a week away. I think again. I'll go back to myself last year. I think about round four or five. I'd guarantee that Frio would be in finals yep. uh, quite early, and I'm I'm getting there with St Kilda. I probably just want to give them, a, yeah, a good opposition this the next it, two it, weeks to give you. A yeah, good guy. T- two two big tests, two tough games. Um, if there's if they split them, mm. if they're five and one with a percentage of one fifty or so after after six weeks, oh, it's, how how it's very difficult to say that they that they don't get in. Yeah, fair enough. We, again, with the players that are that are to come back, they're only going to get Steel, stronger. King, you, you would Billings. think, yeah. Wow, I think, hell. yeah, absolutely. Uh, fair enough. Uh, speaking of uh, winning and losing, the Brisbane Lions, one of the curious cases in, in mm. footy. I think every second week we're sort of thinking, is this all from this squad? And then they go back home. They'll have a night out. Charlie Cameron will kick five. Danaher will contribute. The midfield looks like it's bit full of Rolls Royces. Bit of about them, just a bit inc- too inconsistent. Well. They're really good at home. So the gabatoire is clearly a mm. thing, right? You, you talk about sort of old cliches like that. The gabatoire really is a thing. From 2019 onwards, they're 41 wins and eight losses, says Christian. How can you be... Th- how can a ground... An atmosphere... Is, make, is it country roads playing after what, goals? Like, what's, how what's can any on? one uh, factor make such a difference? And that's what I'm sort of going to go through. Some of the some of the numbers that are different. Like, <laughs> a clearance doesn't it. matter. Like, I get maybe score per inside 50 and ball movement from backup. That might matter where you're playing. But to win a clearance, it shouldn't matter what yeah. venue you are. You shouldn't be <laughs> able to lose the ability it. to win the clearance at, at a It's so venue. baffling. So the, the Lions only had two losses last year at the Gabba, mm. right? They had two in 2021, and one of those was a final. Yeah. So they only lost one regular season, as in home and away season game. They only lost one there in 2020, and they played a lot there because that's where games were played. So... Mm. What is that's crazy? Yeah, so, what, five, is, so when you say five, they had five losses at home in through a space of three three seasons. Yeah, yeah. So it's it's bizarre, isn't it, Christian? You were sort of saying that that the, it's the clearance differential. What other stats are just so well, different for this side away from home? They they all are. That's what I'm saying. So I sort of ran just a whole sort of you know side by side stat count Gabba versus away and took all the negatives and it was basically every single stat just dropped away a little bit. So. You look at for and against, they're 93 points for, 72 against uh, when they play at the Gabba. 
Away, they drop down to 82 points for, so they lose 11 points per game, and they concede 77 points, so it increases by five, so about a 17-point turnaround. But as I said, contested possessions, that's just winning the ball before your opposition does. At the Gabba, plus 8.4, so this is since 2019, uh, plus 8.4 per game. Away, negative one per game. Uh, clearances, I mean, they're still in the positive, but they're half. So plus 3.2 at the Gabba, plus 1.6 away. Uh, inside 50s is probably the big one, plus 8.2 at the Gabba and negative 5.1 away. So that's one I can sort of see could be venue dependent if you're playing at a skinnier, maybe yeah. uh, a skinnier you know dimension compared to a longer one. But it shouldn't change too much. Mm. But that that's that's probably their biggest drop off in terms of just the territory game. They they dominate the inside 50 count at the Gabba and they 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 rarely win it away. This is a random question and I have no idea what what mm. my logic for, for this would be. It's kind of like the red ball versus yellow ball situation, but. On the in terms of the broadcast side, the right. bench is on the far it side is at of the, the Gabba. Gabba. But does it because it's just it's just turn around. So does it matter when you in terms of like if you got right footers heading out to the left? That's a curious observation. I wonder if there's something in that. Even the do you start to if it becomes such a trend where it's like we're so good here and we really struggle for whatever reason. It's yeah. not just oh it's, it was always a narrative. Oh the the lines are no good at the MCG. Well, this seems to be a bit of a trend into when you can. In comparison to how they play at the Gabba, it's everywhere outside of Brisbane. Yeah. Do you start to look at how you're preparing for those trips, how you travel, all your preparation and everything? Do you start to look and question all of that? Or is that just getting a bit But I'm sure they are. You don't know what type of work they've done into their Mm. their away trip. So you'd know they would be across it. They'd definitely be, you know... To win a final, you definitely, you know, to win a premiership, you have to definitely win one away mm. game. Uh, yeah, so I think it would, be, it would be interesting. The other thing is, I'm not saying it's easy to travel from Brisbane each week, but it's not Perth. It's not. It's not that long of a trip, you know. Yeah. Well, it's an hour and a bit shorter. Yeah. To come to Melbourne, yeah, it's what's two what, hours Bris- versus three and a half, maybe. Yeah. From Perth on a good day. But you also don't have the time. The time change as well. That extreme time change. True. So going back and forth. So I, I, I don't think it's that difficult a trip to make um i mean i'm not making it 10 times 10 times in six months so it's it's easy for me to say but it doesn't feel like it should be if it, it's one thing if it was frio was really struggling or west coast so we've seen that happen in the past and it's kind of like yeah it kind of makes a bit more sense yeah i don't know it is very curious though uh lions and north melbourne this week for gather round up at mount barker yeah they uh they They've shown some good signs, uh, North, considering how concerned I think we all were in preseason and some of those damning numbers about them being the worst team at winning the ball and the worst team at using the ball. I mm. think they've been... I don't know if they still are. I, I wouldn't think so, but they've looked pretty good at times. Um, it's probably just a couple of quarters here and there have cost them. Yeah, exactly, um, exactly that. It's just a few quarters here and there, but really, really good solid numbers across the board. There we go. Hey, we introduced this uh, segment a few weeks back on the podcast, basically the telling stat for every team out of the round of footy, uh, where we go through and and look at each team's, the stat that mattered basically in in their game, whether it was a win or a loss uh, throughout the week. On Thursday night, it was Brisbane against uh, Collingwood. What did the the Lions do that really stood out to you, Christian? Yeah, so it was overall, so the whole ground intercept scoring was 75 points versus 32 points for Collingwood from intercepts. Um, and a lot was that was forward half intercepts. So it was Brisbane actually sort of winning the ball back in their front half. They scored 6-2 from that and 1-5 Collingwood scored from their sort of forward half turnover. So the ability to, one, win it back, but two, cash in on that turnover was probably Brisbane's uh, biggest factor. Even the, in the second quarter, I mean, they were... 
13 to 4. They lost the inside 50 count by one, so they were 13 inside 50s to 14, but they scored 6-2 to 0-3 for Collingwood. So again, just that one quarter of cashing in from your entries, that sort of set the game up for them. Well, we saw a few quarters throughout this round where if you cashed in big time, with the exception of Richmond, who still lost their their match, uh, you can really sort of set yourself up for for a win. So you know, when you get the opportunity to have a bit of a run, take mm-hmm. your opportunities and 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 work together as a unit, it can sort of pay off for you, especially against good teams like Collingwood. Uh, the Pies, yeah. So Collingwood was uh, obviously the big news for them going into the game was going in without a ruckman. Um, so one of the stats I did, I ran a query pre-match just to see who had. We we have a hit out smash stat, which is basically where you hit hit the ball as far as a kick from the from the stoppage, and we have a ruck hard stat from when you grab the ball out of the ruck. I was wondering where Oscar McInerney ranks in that in the last five years. He was second to Max Gorn, and they they're both way ahead of the rest of the competitions for smashing it and grabbing it out of the ruck. So I thought we'd see a lot more from McInerney on the night. He had four hit out smashes, which is the equal most in a game, but it wasn't as much as I thought. So they obviously got smashed from the hit outs, but. Lost the clearance count by nine, Collingwood, but yeah, outscored Brisbane from clearances, as I said. Um, and they scored 27 points from centre bounce clearances, which is where most people will tell you the Ruckman is the most valuable mm. at that centre bounce. Their 27 points from centre bounce clearances was their third most in the game since 2019. So, a few sharked balls. Yeah. So they, What's your theory, Jake? I've said it 50 times. We don't need to go through it again, but it just proves my point, doesn't it? Not, I mean, I know they lost the game, and people, t- everyone's telling me that Oscar McInerney was the best player on the ground. It was the best game anyone's ever seen. I mean, he wasn't that good. But I think that's what, yeah, I think Collingwood going in with that mindset of knowing we're going to lose the hitouts as well, it helps you set up. You know, if yeah. you're going into every ruck contest and it's 50 50 and you don't know what's going to happen, it's almost easier to know, okay, McInerney's probably going to win this, so let's set up for, for yeah. that way. But as I said, they, they're probably the best part of their Thursday night game was their scoring and their ability to, mm. to sort of move clearances and score from it, which, yeah, you wouldn't have expected without just, a ruckman. Just while we're on the pies, shout out again to Nick Dacos. I know it's been a few sort of weeks running, but in all seriousness, four, we're all, we're a month in now, four rounds. Only two players I've given Brownlow votes to in all four games, and it's now Dacos and Clayton Oliver. So I'll tell you what, phenomenal set start to his second season he's having. Do you remember if did the umpires notice him last year? Because it usually takes a year to get noticed. Do you think he'll day cost? Yeah. How did he poll? He he polled when he was expected to poll last year. Yeah, yeah. I, I think he's going to poll well. This oh, he's year. been noticed. I think. Yeah, yeah. big time. Uh, Kangaroos and Carlton ended up being a bit close in the end. Aside from yeah, some dominance, yeah, a little from... bit. Uh, you wouldn't want a fifth quarter in that game. I don't know what we sort of just stopped. <laughs> well, the expected scores. Correct me if I'm wrong. North should have actually won that game. Well, that's that's where I was going with Is this one. Right? So it's always you know you probably don't want to hear it as a North supporter. But again, from where you've been in the in the previous two years and not even been in games, the expected score 96 North Melbourne 89 Carlton. So it could have been a mm. seven point win for North Melbourne had everyone kicked out expected accuracy. But again, just looked at they generated 27 shots at goal. That's Second time this year, and both of their games at Marvel, they've generated 27 shots at goal, which, again, only happens in about, I think over the last three or four years, it happens in about 20% of games. So for them to have already done it in two of their four games just shows that they've, exactly what you are talking about before, they're they're getting their hands on the ball and they're generating scoring shots, which is just... If you talk about baby steps from where they've yeah. come along, it's 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 the, even more than baby the, steps. The LDU leave. Simpkin additions, I mean, it makes an enormous difference, doesn't it? Yeah. Well, yeah, and also Nick Larkey was injured yeah. throughout that most of that match, and and you were relying on Zerha, and you know he had a good game, but it was a little bit inaccurate. Uh, who would have known if if Larkey had been fit from the get go, whether North could really have challenged the Blues? Uh, the Blues ten goals from their key forwards, mm. and speaking of inaccuracy, Mackay missed. What about that one he missed across the face of goal? Yeah. Probably a, an unpopular opinion, but I don't think that was as difficult as what 
that sorry as easy mm. as some people are making it out to be. I think yeah. I don't well, know do you know what the X score on that shot was? But the thing is, oh, because <laughs> he was under physical pressure, it wouldn't be. It'd he was be under probably fi- under five and a half because he was getting tackled as he kicked. Yeah, it. he was he was under pressure getting tackled, and he was kind of on his wrong side. But and if you kind don't of kick it that hard, you get yeah. a goal. Surely, if you kick the ball softer, it can't shank <laughs> that far and it goes through. For, that's what I mean. He kicked it so hard yeah. that it allowed him to miss by more if that makes sense yeah. like if you had to kick the ball softer and shanked it yeah. it still just dribbles over just the goal line the, it's a goal the Luke Bruce where you just have the yeah. ball cross the line by a metre every yeah. time doesn't <laughs> matter don't try to are. kick it in the yeah. so I still think we've seen a lot worse in history we're sort of going through oh, some yeah. in the office uh, Cameron Ling had a shocker I'm pretty sure where he was under less pressure and booted it out on the full back yeah, in the day there's been a few I, there was a couple in the last couple of years I just I always forget who you you can picture them in your head but you can't remember who was who did it yeah anyway uh, Blues yeah, so again, talking about goal kicking um, or goal sources, probably. Uh, 13 of their 16 goals came from set shots. Um, six goals won from free kicks and 50. So one goal from a 50 meter penalty, another 5 1. Uh, five goals won from free kicks. And also, they scored five goals directly from kick in. So to me, watching that game, as I said, it was. It was a weird one in terms of you can't rely on that on those scoring opportunities every week. You, you Usually, teams average about just under a goal per game from kick-ins. Um, and as I said, Carlton scored, I think it was 31 points. So it's the most uh, since by any team since round one, 2012. So the most points kicked from kick-ins. Yeah. Um, and yeah, and then the five goals sort of from from the, uh, you know, what we call umpire calls as well from 50-meter penalties and free kicks was a really high number. Also looking at Charlie Kernow, obviously kicked his goals. Three of those goals were from kick-in chain, so it's just basically him waiting down the end. That's the Eagles' most goal. Well, it's the yeah. Eagles' most goals kicked from a kick-in chain. He's got the most score involvement, I'm pretty sure, about in the league six or seven years. So yeah. it was a weird one. I took the kids to that game as and you know Carlton supporters, and I felt like sort of I was sort of talking to you, Matt, before the podcast. Felt like too many set shots isn't as exciting for the kids as goals on the run. So there was all the times you sort of cheer because. Charlie's getting a free kick or Harry's getting a free kick or taking a mark but when they go back and slot the set shot I just mm. didn't feel it was exciting so it was a it was an exciting game but I thought it was a flat sort of game for Carlton supporters in terms of they didn't really get that run and carry with their handball they didn't get goals from you know coming so out of stoppages like that first half was very uninspiring yeah it was again good to get the four points but I, I wouldn't take a lot out of that game where Carlton have shown anything that they probably want to continue doing for the rest of the year yeah something to say just well, I had to something to say, but I was also going to... That made me think of something else. So, of the 16 quarters, Carlton... This is our little Carlton uh, podcast segment within the podcast. But of the 16 quarters we've played, how many have we played poorly? Oh, yeah, I haven't Half? looked at the win, but that, that we, was... What's, that's it's it's the Carlton, that was Carlton the, corner. That so was the problem. Again, that was the problem with Carlton last year. That's why by round seven or eight, I was convinced that we, if we're going to put the Wii hats on for the moment, we weren't going to make finals at round eight last year because we were less than 50% winning record across quarters. So yeah. it's good to get the four points. But yeah, you've you got to look at yeah, yeah. how what does this game mean for future games? Yeah. Um, and again, looking at the round four performance with Carlton, there wouldn't be, you know, besides the performance of the two key fours, there's not too much one. out. Yeah. Um, here's a fun one for you. When was the last time the Adelaide Crows would have paid, played four games in a row at Adelaide Oval? Or probably never because of Adelaide Oval. Yeah. So new, yeah. Uh, yeah, well, maybe at home, you know, at, including Footy Park. Because if you think about it, after round one, they played the Tigers at home, then they played Port they away, showed, yeah. and they played Freo on the weekend, and they played Carlton in Gatherland. Where'd you find that? Oh, I was just looking. When was the last time they would have played four in a row in Adelaide? I like that. That's a good one. Anyway, um, um, they were very impressive against the Dockers. Maybe went maybe during a period where they, they might have had, I don't know, could have potentially had two games to finish the season. At home and then season. two finals. Uh, maybe. I don't know, something like that. We'll have to look that one up. 
Anyway, yes, they were very impressive against the Dockers, I feel. Frio, we talked about them the first couple of weeks in pre-season. Just trust them. Just uninspiring in the forward half. Whereas Adelaide, very inspiring in the forward half. Tex. Mm. Um, uh, good Tex. He's good. He's been... Yeah. He, he... Phil uh, Thorpe we, popped up last week. Yeah. Um, uh, Rankin's been really good. Rankin's been really lively. I mean, they've, they've it's you don't want to overreact to a win here or a loss, you know, one way or the other. But they 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 look they look like far more of a cohesive unit the Crows this year than they did last year. Yeah. So and there's a lot of when you sort of look at their numbers, there's a lot of comparisons you can make to Collingwood in terms of Adelaide last year. They were top three, top four in a lot of defensive stats. So they were hard to play against, hard to move the ball against, hard to hit targets against, you know, and just, just a dour team. So they, they nailed all that defensive part of their game and they weren't easy to play against. It was like, well, if they can start to sort of get their hands on the ball a bit more and score, that'll be where their improvement comes from. Similar to Collingwood, we knew they were a counter-attack team last year. We knew, basically, if they start winning the contested possessions, look out and look at what's happening when they do win the contested possessions here. Adelaide similar. If Adelaide can start putting scores on. The, you sort of looked at it last year and said if they get any sort of offense in their game, well, they'll be a top eight side. They're the number least... one scoring side going inside fifty this year. Um, as I said, the cheeky one that I looked at there, second highest goals from general play. So they're exciting to watch. They don't kick all the set shot goals, <laughs> which I was just complaining about. But it is. It's that functionality of the forward line on top of what Matthew Nix had already implemented in the last two years. Of we're mm. going to be hard to play against. We know our defensive. It's the way to build defensive isn't it? strength. They, again, they're, they're ones that people are saying, you know, again, you just asked me about St Kilda earlier. I, I think I'm a believer in Adelaide in terms of this is where they're, this is the next logical step of their game to evolve, and it has. It's it's, it's happened quickly, but mm. the personnel down there, they're all just, you know, Richelli, Rankin, I know are young, but they're in career best seasons. Walker, you know, even Fogg. Yeah, the, the forward yeah. line, I don't think there's many questions. I think, still think they're, they're a bit light on in the middle. Um, but that'll come with time. But this again, is... they got, yeah, in the middle, they've got really good sort of combination of play. I know they're probably a bit, you know, they're a little bit top heavy and slower in there with Schoenberg and, um, you know, Saligo, I know, is a bigger body. But they do, they're sort of getting a bit of a mix now in terms of some nice, classy boys on the outside. You know, Frischelli can push up the ground and Shoal and things like that. And then the inside, you know, the inside bulls. Uh, 26 scoring shots in every single match this year, at least Pros. 26, yeah. So they're, they're like Only to say, team to do that? It's pretty good. That's, a, that's one. Uh, Dockers. <laughs> yeah, so again, a bit of a flip side to Adelaide. So they were even in the inside 50 count. So again, talk about how potent Adelaide's forward line was. They won by, you know, Adelaide won by 39 points with the same amount of inside 50. So um, yeah, with Frio, that's, that's been one of their big problems is obviously their scoring um, for a number of years now. But again, they were negative 14 for contested possessions for the game. Um, they have, they're yet to win contested possessions in any game this year, and they're sort of 18th. Uh, sorry, they're 13th for uh, contested possessions bit differential, but 18th for post clearance differential. So mm. uh, I know that might be something we want to discuss. We'll go for a deep dive on that next week, maybe. Yeah, maybe future of what pre clearance and post clearance is. But post clearance is basically general play after kicks, after handballs. How well do you get to a contested ball from that? They've been beaten in every game, and and one of the worst teams in it. Um, so yeah, again, that's that's the main problem with Frio. And then looking at just their ball movement, just sort of, it's been so slow this year, but it actually sort of died on the weekend, if that makes sense. They had 38 defensive 50 chains, three of those made it inside 50. Jeez. Um, but the big part of it is, so of those 38 chains, three of them went inside 50, 29 of them were turned over to Adelaide. Mm. So went straight back to Adelaide, who were, who were able to kick nine goals, three on the scoreboard from that. So it's basically Frio coming out of the back line, 
got one goal on the scoreboard for themselves, but conceded nine goals, three to Adelaide. So mm, there's a difference. Just getting stuck down that, that end. Uh, Tigers and the Dogs, we did mention it, but the, the run the Tigers had in that middle part of the game was just some of the best footy I think I've seen, especially considering the con- uh, the conditions that they were um, they were playing in, but couldn't get the chocolates. Yeah, and it's a real, uh, rare one that once the seven goals in a row they kicked and, and they lost. So usually looking at the last 10 years, if you kick seven goals in a row, it's probably not as high as I thought. It's a 92% winning chance. So right. um, very rarely does a team kick seven in a row and lose. But again, across the entire game, there were negative 16 for inside 50s. Um, across the two weeks now, they're negative 35, uh, which is their... So in the last two weeks, they're the seventh and 10th worst games they've had inside 50 differential since 2017 so it's really something they've hung their hat on they, mm. they don't need more disposals we don't need to have you know we're not a high tackling team we're not a high contest possession team but we'll just beat you with territory that's sort of eluding them at the moment um so it was rare they had 28 more disposals than the bulldogs sort of banging on about even when they were in premierships they were averaging fewer disposals than right position so they had more of the ball 28 disposals but, but still lost the inside 50 count by 16 so very rare for Richmond to sort of be stuck with the ball with nowhere to go, but that's sort of what it looked like on the weekend. Conditions probably didn't help. Uh, as for the Dogs, thought they were pretty impressive, especially given the way that they were challenged by the Tigers, for them to sort of steady come back. Um, some of their goal kickers, like Tim English had a great game, I thought, especially for a big guy in the wet, kicked two goals as well. Uh, what do you see from the Dogs? It was good. Mm. Yeah, well, first one with the Dogs was they killed my stat from last week, so they actually got beaten in the ground ball get, so I was sort of <laughs> saying they needed to win that by plus 15, um, or they were a chance, you know, well, most likely going to lose the game, but they were actually negative one or two for ground balls across the game, so it was, it was uh, just looking at this year, it was their most it was their best result going forward 50, um, and one of their best results for defending their back 50 as well, so they got their bookends right, which is... Something we've always spoken about with the Bulldogs. Of, mm. of, that's where their issues are. They either leak scores too easy or they don't get enough goals from their actual uh, top-heavy forwards. Um, but, yeah, for, for one week, again, maybe the conditions help, but they were hard to score against and they were quite potent when they went inside 50. Uh, on Saturday night, Swans and the Power. We're not we're not even really getting time to kind of analyse this. The feels, last feels weeks ago. last three minutes was... I'm still trying to unpack what happened. Um, from the... Well, Callum Mills on the goal line? Are we going to briefly mention that? I don't know what he was that? doing. Well, buddy, it was just buddy. a bit of a strange... I mean, you touched on the old camera angle. That was one of the weirdest sort of Finishes. 10 minutes of football I can yeah, remember. Buddy, buddy gets a pass for me. He's just sort of got, yeah, but you got, got his arm hold on the your, hold your Mills, and Mills, Mills celebrated while the ball yeah. was obviously... It probably would have fallen minutes. short still, but try yeah, and hold but the ground. He, was and... celebra- he ran off celebrating, but the ball was never going to cross the line, obviously, yeah. because... I don't know what he was where you, at. Yeah, he had... He stick savers. Yeah, exactly. Um, but even like that last chain, like Power got it back, and obviously um, they didn't have much to contend with in terms of pressure because the Swans are all flooding back to try and protect the zone. But the way they were able to go, bang, 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 uncontested mark in the back of Florent takes that. Mm. Yeah, and for a low score... Anyway, we could probably get to that at another point, but um, yes, key stat from the Power... Uh, so oh, if, Swans even well, yeah, no, way you well, go. again with the Swans it was uh, they, similar to sort of what we are talking about in terms of Richmond and the territory game they're usually used to winning inside 50s or staying pretty even in it they had 22 more inside 50s than Port Adelaide which again oh. is, is quite large for Sydney to have that much of domination for territory uh, but yet lost the game so it's their best differential in a losing game since round 6 2012 so very rare. Again, another one of those ones where they can walk away saying we probably should, you know, to finish with, what, they 64 points or so yeah. from 50-odd uh, inside 50s. Um, yeah, sort of a lot of wasted opportunities for them. Um, but, yeah, again, looking at Port Adelaide, they... So, again, looking at that inside 50 stat, they allowed Sydney to score from 28% of those entries, which is Port Adelaide's fifth-best result um, under Ken Hinckley. 
Um, and they, again, they sort of, they really sort of didn't intercept the ball before it got to defensive 50. So they had 38 defensive 50 intercepts Port Adelaide, which is the second most in a game since 2018. So again, it was sort of, they probably knew they were on the back foot against Sydney. They saw that Sydney was sort of dominating possession, dominating inside 50. So what Port were able to do is just hold the fort down back. But again, just a simple one for me was looking at the top three ball winners for Port. Um, it's probably one that, what uh, power supporters want to see more often. Butters, number one disposal winner, 27. Dersma, second, 22. And Rosie, third with 20. So that were the three names that, you know, three or four years ago were going to be the future stars of the club. Mm. They've probably all been a bit up and down since. But yeah, all had a good game on the weekend. Um, another commentator quirk. Miles Bergman wears short socks and Jason Horn Francis wears long socks. There's you notice socks, you don't you? Yeah. the commentators. He called uh, Bergman Horn Francis about three or four times. Yeah, there was. It's been a few of those this year. Just, just, and it's. It, I'll excuse it if it happens once. You know, if there's a lot of players on the ground. It's fast pace. You're calling names constantly. I'll give you a pass because you. I'm. If you call someone's name wrong once. It's not necessarily you don't yeah. know who they are. Yeah. When you consistently call them the wrong name, there's something... Yeah, someone needs to step in and say something. Yeah. Uh, Saints, uh, irresistible against the Suns. Um, pretty close for the first quarter and a half or so, and then um, just sort of flexed muscle and, and, and piled them on and blew the, blew the Suns away. Only 21,000 there, firstly, on a, an Easter Saturday night. Yeah, not good enough, Sainers. 52,000 members. Had yeah. 70,000 against yeah, the Bombers the week before. Gonna, I was going to say... Uh, they're all gone away for Easter. Uh, anyway, sorry, that was my stat. What's yours? Uh, again, so it was a bit of yeah party time for them. They just dominated possession. 467 disposals for the game. So that's their sixth most ever. Their most in a game since 2017. So just had the ball. 79 disposals in their forward 50 alone. I mean, we're going to get to Hawthorne Geelong soon. I think Geelong finished with six forward 50 disposals in the second half. Um, so he could have had 79 disposals in the forward 50. So... Uh, most for them in a game since the final round of 2013, which uh, went back and looked at, was when they played the Dockers. The Dockers had, I think it was nine players with That's 20 right. or that, Was that the, games the, the, the game where he rested all the players? Yeah, Ross yeah. Lyon was in charge of the Dockers at that stage and uh, had rested all the players. And yeah, Saints had a field day. So I think they won that game by you know close to 80 or 90 points. The introduction of the, pre- the post-season um, buy. Yeah, so that... Again, looking at the numbers against the Gold Coast, it was almost that, that's how easy it was for St Kilda. They against dominated who? against Gold Coast Suns. Um, if the All Australian team was being done right now, I reckon the first pick might just be Callum Wilkie. First pick, first pick, very close to it. Mitch Owens, I'm a big fan of. Don't know if he's All Australian. I don't know if he's All Australian, but yeah, he's, talking about the game in particular, he's been good. Dougal yeah. Howard actually has the best defender rating in the competition. So again, we look at matchups over 40 minutes and what you can see to your opponent. Mm. Um, and obviously, you know, looking at if you can see less than your opponent, you get a positive defender rating. Uh, yeah, Dougal Howard's number one in the comp. I think Callum Wilkie's about fifth or sixth, but I think <laughs> two of the top six. Yeah, bad. and Not again, bad. like everyone's sort of saying, Callum Wilkie's underrated. Uh, Dougal Howard conceded two goals on the weekend. I think in the second, uh, conceded one to Jeffrey and one to Sexton. According to our numbers, they're the first two goals he's conceded all year. Yeah, so in the right. first three rounds, you know, he hadn't, he hadn't conceded a goal to any of his opponents. I think if I was a defender, I wouldn't mind life under Ross because I think There's he sets dour, you up well. Every, well everyone around <laughs> you as well. Uh, Suns, disappointing. Where do we go from there? Yeah, so again, it's probably more of the the whole season. So they've lost the disposal efficiency in in every single game this year. The, the along with Brisbane, which is surprising, the two Queensland teams, the only two teams yet to win disposal efficiency in the game. <laughs> Brisbane's lost it by uh, 
0.5% and 1.5%, so I only finished just below. Gold Coast, negative 7%, negative 4%, negative 9%, negative 8% across their four games. So just they're not using the ball well, but they're letting the opposition also just have to have too many easy disposals and use the ball well. So I was going to say, how much of that is your players to just not using it well or... Is it the is what you just said, where it's you're not putting enough pressure on and making it so easy for the opposition? Yeah, to exactly. Use it. That's why you look at it as a differential. So I think they're they're pretty. You know, it's usually if you're low for disposal efficiency, you're going to be pretty low for disposal efficiency mm. against as well. But just because your games are usually more constructed to be, you know, more tighter and in close and a lot more contests, whereas Gold Coast, it's not a highly contested game style. It's just mm. they are butchering the ball. It's a bit and, concerning and the with the Suns because I think we're all. I think we're all saying you know, they could, should be around finals yeah. this year. And you look at the ladder after a month. Deja, you know, deja vu times, how many yeah. years they've been, you know? 10, deja 11, vu yeah. times 10 for me. It's just, 12, I thought they were getting somewhere towards midway through last yeah. year. They sort of took a backward step second half of last year and, you know, sort of dropped away from finals pretty quickly. Thought that, you know, it was really unknown of where they were going to start this year, but sort of saw the... Well, if they follow the trend of falling away in the second half of the season, they're going to be really Usually usually they start seasons well. Yeah. Uh, Dons, um, I floated one to you, Christian, about the free kick count. 17 in total for the game, Jake. Only four free kicks to halftime. I I noticed that. As in you noticed the stat or you noticed it watching the game? Sorry, I didn't really notice it. It was said. They the comment... Credit to the commentators. They pointed it out at one oh, stage. We're happy to bag the, the commentators, in, so credit to them. In the third, I think it was halfway through the third quarter, they said there's only been about seven free kicks paid or something. And I mm. thought, that's weird. I don't know. But I wasn't. I didn't notice it during the game that no free kicks were being paid. Yeah, I'd, I'd heard the stat. I think I was driving in um, and heard the stat on the radio. And then when I got into the office, the first bit of vision I saw was it's the really dodgy hole in the ball paid. And I sort of said, that's the seventh free kick paid in this game and it's not even worth one. So um, it happened pretty early. But yeah, so 17 free kicks across a game. That's the equal third fewest since 20, uh, 2005. Jeez. Um, and the four and a half is the fewest since 2005. So Sorry, what do you one, mean four and a half? It's four in a half. So oh, four frees. Yeah, that's what half. I thought. Sorry. Yeah. It was a bit quick. Uh, yeah, that's... so four free kicks in one half. Um, yeah, is the fewest since 25. There was a couple of halves that had like two or one. I didn't see any zero free kicks paid for a half, but early 2000s, we had a few I'd be throwing the ball just to make sure the umpires are awake. Well, some of those games back then, there just no no pressure. None was on anyone. It's just it's just like an exhibition. There were no free kicks in the early two thousands. Yeah, I don't know, but it was a, yeah, it was um, pagan's patty. <laughs> and again, looking at that, you know, usually low free kicks means the game's probably a low contest game, and the ball's more out in the open. Uh, GWS were negative 19 for contested possessions across that game after finishing negative 25 the week before against Carlton. So mm. um, something I was pumping up at the start of the year is how good their inside ball winners looked, yeah. uh, especially with the um, sort of the improvement of Tom Green's going to probably be one of the best inside players going around. Mm. But they just, yeah, they've, they've lost all that balance. They can't win the inside ball. Something Essendon aren't known for, but yeah, just got smashed on the night. Yeah. Uh, yeah, the accuracy too. One seven, I think they were one eight potentially, and then Nick Martin kind of steadied the ship, and they kind of went from there. But yeah, so yeah. five under ele- the dome. Yeah, five. I, I, this is one thing I want to challenge. I'm sick of people saying Come I can't on. believe they've missed that many. But conditions are perfect, but it's been happening for 15 years. Yeah. Right? We don't see accuracy improve at Martin. We might see it by one or two percent, but everyone's still surprised that people. But the rest kick of the weekend, I'm saying, like you know, early inaccurate at Marvel. Yeah, exactly. So that's what I'm saying. It's, I, I hate. I just hate the one that's like, it's, oh, and at that venue too. It's like. Inaccuracy they should is inaccuracy. Be. They should be better. Well, they're no, not. They're not. Yeah, again, so yeah, 5'11 from within 30 metres, so you, oh. that's Essendon. So you sort of talk about 
Uh, sometimes your accuracy can be because you're taking hard shots, yeah. but yeah, that's just missing a lot from really, really close. None of those within 30 were on acute angles, like up on the boundary either. They were all sort of either on angles or no good. slight angles. Come on, practice your goal kicking, guys. Uh, Eagles and um, Melbourne. Yeah, one of the most, that was probably the biggest domination this year. I mean, Port and Brisbane round one uh, was up there with it, but if you look at the differentials, so Melbourne, 79 more disposals, 21 more contested possessions, 20 more marks, 51 more uncontested, 20 more inside 50s and 10 more clearances. So just complete domination. Um, and again, one of the stats that I looked at is just how clean and how uh, exciting Melbourne looked and sort of didn't realise on the day, but I sort of ran the stats. So 84%, 84% of their scores were assisted. That's the highest percentage in any game this season. So again, you mm. think of a goal, you can get them from... Again, getting a free kick from the umpire because you've laid a tackle or you get a crumbing ball off a pack, they're not going to be assisted goals. All of the goals that Melbourne were kicking was because they were finding yeah. either free players ahead of the ball or kicking to leading players and things like that. So I thought their connection... Which was the opposite of what we were saying. I mean, it goes back a few years to the criticism, but even it started to creep back in exactly. again. Exactly, and that was the one comment I made even before I looked at the stat or sort of worked it out. I just said I just said it said, their delivery into the forward line has been probably the best I've seen in three years mm. uh, tonight mm. when I was doing that game. But yeah, it sort of looked at just all of their scores were just coming because they were able to pop one over the top and get it to an uncontested teammate and kick the goal. Just, I mean, West Coast, as I said, hard, got smashed. They're sort of trying to change up their game style. I think personnel didn't help them. But, um, yeah, Tim Kelly was probably the one. Big game for him, 36 disposals, two goals. He had the second most metres gained he's ever had in a game. So probably had a good one, but I, I, I don't know. Sort of talking to Jake beforehand, I don't know if he used the ball quite well. I, I think. thought it was – some of his ball use was horrendous. Yeah, but he's the only one for me – again, I'm, I agree with that, some of the ball use, but he's the only Eagles player that sort of – and we talk about why Chad Warner and Petrarca are so good at that forward mm. momentum out of stoppages. Yeah. Kelly's got that. He's oh, got yeah. It, he's he, got him almost as good as anyone in the comp, yeah. um, which is, you know, going to hold him in good stead. It's just that, that last little touch or, you know, hitting the target with his yeah. – No, no, he, I'm certainly not saying he's an average player. He's At his best, he's – He's great. He's a really good player from stoppage. And he's got burst, which but he's not fast. It's, he's got that kind of step and the way he can kind of get away from a stop. But he's not a quick player, Tim Kelly. But yeah, some of the ball use are, he's not the best ball user, but I think that was even that was a bit of an anomaly even still. He was really he was hacking it off the side of the boots sixteen <laughs> meters. I saw it use it four times in the first half. <laughs> Uh, talked about domination before, but the Cats over the Hawks was something to behold, especially in that uh, that third term, Christian. We talked about you know one-sided stat lines. The third term in particular, I think Geelong recorded 21 more inside 50s than the Hawks did overall in that quarter. Yeah, and that's so just stunning. 22 inside 50s to one. Um, and the one Hawthorne inside 50, if people want to look it up, I was watching it this morning. I think it's about eight minutes into the quarter. Connor McDonald's running down the wing. No pressure, really. Someone chasing him probably 10 minutes behind. He's sort of got a couple of options inside 50, and he picks out a Salva Radagalia 20 metres on his mm. own, no, 40, really. 45 metres out from goal. So it was a shallow entry about five metres deep, which ended in a Geelong mark. Um, so they were statless in the forward 50 for the quarter. So you think about all the stats that you could have in the, uh, inside the forward 50. If you kick the ball inside 50 to a target, the target player will get. That's a stat yep. you've targeted. Uh, you know, Fergus Green once. They didn't target anyone with that kick. <laughs> They didn't have a pressure act because once you take a mark, you're under no pressure. So the guy on the mark, you know, unless you run off, you don't get a pressure act. So they had no pressure act, no inside 50 target, no disposals, no tackles, nothing in their forward 50 for the whole of the third quarter. Um, and then, yeah, in the sec in the last quarter, they only had six forward 50 disposals. They were all kicks. Um, and, yeah, it was just a complete domination by Geelong. So 
Talk about the turnaround, though. Hawks, you know, take the head off to them. First half, plus 12 contested possessions, plus 10 inside 50s and plus 14 clearances. Um, but as I said, yeah, the turnaround was third quarter alone, plus 21 inside 50s for uh, Geelong. The clearances were plus 8 and plus 23 contested possessions in that one quarter alone. So good signs early for the Hawks. Going to happen to young teams. But I, I was seriously impressed by the way the Hawks sort of hunted the ball and sort of kept the ball moving. They... they they didn't go into their shells playing against the top team in Geelong. They sort of, they mm. did sort of take the game on and look the good. Top team in Geelong, weren't they? The well, bottom team. Previ- in yeah, previously, <laughs> the, the reigning premiers in Geelong. If you yes. like, it, be, being Hawthorne, you would have thought yeah. you know they, they're going to go reactive and they're going to change. So I think they didn't. They they stuck to their guns and shows what Sam Mitchell's doing. He's going to he's going to cop a lot of these losses in the next one or two years for the greater benefit of hopefully three years down the track. Mm. Uh, getting into red time on this podcast, proudly sponsored by Subway. Jake, mm. is the hype justified or is it hyperbole? It's our favourite segment on this uh, podcast. It's time to ditch the 666 warnings. It is, and I think we've said this... How long have we had these warnings for now? <laughs> three, four years? I was going to say five. However long it's been. Yeah, maybe four, three. Um, it's stupid. It makes no sense. Why do we have a warning? Is there any other rule we have a warning for in any sport? I can't think of anything. It just makes no sense. That Not we... only that, it also changes the bounce to a throw-up. Yeah, why? Just because. because and, there, I don't know, it just does. and someone told me that there was a reason for it and I said well what's the reason and they said oh, oh well, I don't know but well is there or is there no reason it makes no sense that we do this the pie got pinged twice so two centre clearances were free for yeah. the Lions because of that but you reckon it should have been three like why of are course. we why, why are we, we gi- giving them an out I don't know and this is why we, we should scrap the rule immediately there's no other rule it'd be the same thing as you know Cicely, the ball comes in Sicily shoves Hawkins in the back and the umpire says that's your warning next time you do it he's getting a free kick <laughs> yeah. why do we give a warning it makes absolutely no sense Fair enough. Sorted out. Richmond's... Sorry. We're going to go on one too too far there. Christian, Gather Round has robbed Victorian fans of two genuine 70,000-strong MCG crowds. Uh, Maybe, but again, I sort of spoke about last week. You've got to remember, this is an added round. So this isn't a round that has been moved from being a normal home and away round to being all in Adelaide. This isn't added round that they've put in so again I don't know where the added game of the season put in I think you mm-hmm. I, I was going to say you know th- this was just an added game but you did point out a good point that Collingwood and St Kilda aren't scheduled to play again this year and neither is Essendon and Melbourne and those are probably the two games where you think there might be big crowds considering where these teams are at and yeah. their fan bases yeah again I think that's just what you're going to get with Gatherer you knew you were going to a city with a 55,000 seat stadium so you weren't going to have any mm-hmm. any teams you know or any attendances above that so, I, again, I just find it funny that we knew what we were going to get five weeks ago. Three days out, we realised how good Collie was St Kilda going. Everyone yeah. jumps up and down and says the <laughs> AFL's got it wrong and the stupid AFL, blah, blah. It's like, hang on, we all knew what was going on. We've just It's just been unlucky I, that these are the two if teams. If I'm starting it again, I'm picking matches or a round where the teams are playing a team that they're, they're going to play again somewhere. I yeah, that's I would have, yeah, yeah, that's what I thought this gather round was. I thought they've done their 22-week fixture yeah, and, and then they grab another game for so everyone to play. So that's how I thought it was done yeah, that, yeah. that you've pointed out. So Collingwood play. and St Kilda don't play again. Correct, yeah. yeah. No, uh, that, look, that's fair enough. But I also think, you know, they've done this. And as Christian said, you know, no, who at the start of the year was saying, oh, how like how they can have Collingwood, St Kilda, Adelaide Oval? That, that would have been, you know, whether it was at the MCG, oh, 90,000 people would have gone. Well, no, they wouldn't have because no one expected that at the start of the season. Fair enough. Uh, Richmond's finals hopes are all but over after oh. their one-win start to the year was punctuated by injuries to Tom Lynch and Toby Nankervis. Gee, I didn't know this was going to be a question, but... Yes, you did. Uh, you saw the run sheet. Well, I didn't, actually. I didn't look at it, as <laughs> is often the case. Um, not a great 
year or great start to the year for my predictions, I must say. I had the Tigers. Well, I had them runner-up. I had them winning it. Yeah, you did too. Um, And I had Lynch winning the Coleman. (laughs) And I had Dusty and Bolton combining for 100 goals. Not a great start. No. Uh, Look, I don't want to write them off yet. If they come back, I'll look even more foolish. Mm. So I'll stick with them for now. But, gee, they they don't look anything like I expected. Um, Really disappointing so far. Their game style hasn't probably been suited to some of the weather they played in the last two weeks. That's true. But also, you know, you've got to adapt. And I just don't think they've been good enough. And now with Lynch Lynch not in the team, let's get some... He he was so good in the back in the last sort of five rounds last year, and then you know he's obviously what he was able to do so far this season. I, I I'm concerned, really concerned with what their forward line is going to be able to produce now. Fair enough. Uh, last one before we wrap things up: the Blues duo of Mackay and Kerno is the best key forward pairing in the league. Christian, statistically yes, but non-statistically. Yeah, I think they are. Again, we're sort of Hawkins and Cameron. We're up there, but again, they haven't played long enough together. I think Hawkins is probably the draft's heading down for him now, and Jeremy Cameron. Wow! Again, I, I I sort of, you know, I I sort of challenged the the rhetoric last year. I think during finals that Jeremy Cameron all of a sudden became the best player in the competition. I thought that was quite quick. Watching him this week, hey, this season, I'm, I'm a hey, converter, his... so probably the best in the comp. But yeah, in terms of the best two, Mackay and Kerno, who are they? Again, who are they the best since? Are they the best since Franklin and Ruffhead? Ooh, probably. I mean, I if Cameron's a ten, and Charlie Kerno's a nine point five, mm. where's Hawkins now? Is Hawkins an eight? Is Mackay an eight? Is Hawkins a six or seven now? I don't yeah, know. I, I look at Hawkins in a weird way, and it, again, great player, but I don't think he would be as successful in many other teams. He plays predominantly thirty meters out, and that is all. There's not many other teams that can carry. And again, that's that Just goes to the strength scare. that you're <laughs> You can call it whatever you want, but no, I just <laughs> think that up. And again, I think that's age and and mobility and I, all that stuff. And that, yeah. but that's where his value is. He, what's the point of him taking yeah. a mark up? No, no, wing, I had him top fifteen is, in my best fifty players going into the season. He's a and fantastic again, player, and, and they probably don't need him to do that. Whereas Carlton have been crying out for Harry Mackay to come mm. up and take mm. some of those big strong marks up on the wing and halfback flank. Whereas as, again, Hawkins, I give him a, like a seven because I don't know how you could. I don't know how he would fit into all the other 17 teams in the competition. I know yeah. that Geelong can accommodate him and he's a gun there and he's been a, a star of the game. But you find somewhere for him. Yeah, in terms of the way he's been playing this year. It's so tight between those two pairings, but I reckon if I'm playing in a grand final tomorrow and I can pick which two I want on my team, not be, and forget the experience factor. I don't care about that. It's I, I still think Hawkins and Cameron, I take them just right now. But I think next year, it's, it's, it's the Blues too. Uh, if you have any thoughts on footy tips, we are at footy tips on Twitter. We are. Let me say that again. We are on Twitter at footy tips. Uh, so if you want to have a we chat are. to us or discuss these things or tell Jake he's wrong, that's where you will find us. Uh, Ron Connolly is on the Footyology podcast every Wednesday with Rodney Ede. Uh, and make sure you get your tips in as well. Gather around coming up soon because get of the long weekend. In, and let's see if that home away, home away. Well, actually, will not. There was nine, so it'll have to start with the away. Oh, hang on, so they're all at the same venue this week. All but two games. Yeah, yeah but there's still a home and away team. And let's keep that streak going. <laughs> we we have a guy at Champion Data who reckons he's going to get to all nine games this round. So I'll, I'll keep Jeez. you updated. But uh, yeah, good luck. Good luck. Steve. So so this is an interesting thing. Just before we go, I don't know if anyone's ever been able to do that. Well, I don't think he can. That's why I said all like, nine games in a week. This will be the first time that I reckon that someone could be travel from Mount Barker or something. I said you'll get to a game if you get to the game in the last quarters. Does yeah, it still does that count? count as being there? And he reckons it does. So yeah, we'll see how I he think goes. so. So long as you you're in there. How, yeah, that's. It, I don't think you could ever do it unless no. you're playing. How could you? Because there was all there's always two games. Two games you'll have one in a different state unless you were literally there at the bounce and 
jetted to the airport. I mean, even still. <laughs> Keep us updated. That's interesting. Uh, we'll see how we go. To everyone at home, thanks for listening. We'll speak to you in the next episode. Listen to all the latest episodes by subscribing to the ESPN Footy Pod, wherever you get your podcasts.